0: We want to continue this series about mindsets today. Are you ready? We've been talking about the kingdom and we're talking about the kingdom today. What I want to focus in on today is a kingdom priority that is wrapped up in this one word called restoration. Can you say that out loud for me? Restoration. Yeah, now I need to get you ready for this message. So I need you to think for just a moment. Can you do that? Can you think back a little bit? I want you to think back to the worst thing you've ever done. The most embarrassing thing you've ever done. You know that thing that you were hoping that nobody would ever know, right? It may be something that got exposure. It may be something that you're like, thank the Lord that nobody knows this. But you you know, I want you to think about that. And now just imagine for a moment that we took that and we posted it up on that screen up there. And played the audio. Anybody excited about the thought of that? Yeah. You know, the interesting thing is that there are a lot of people that fill our prison systems that have done things, but there are a lot of people walking around who have done the same thing and just never got caught. <laughs> now let me go a little bit further and say, what if we were to take the the worst thought you ever had? What if we just started exposing thoughts right now and we could do it in such a way that it was exactly your voice, the tone of your voice and everything, exactly like you thought it when you thought it. Anybody excited about that? I assure you there is no pastor, no person that could stand behind that pulpit right there if that's what was required. Perfection. Nobody would stand there. I, I couldn't stand there. And so what happens is a lot of times we live with those things, and because of it, we live with a great deal of shame. We live with a great deal of embarrassment, and we live just a little bit separated from the rest of the world because we're thinking if they ever find out, if they ever find. and you know what the next thing is, if they ever find out, you know what will happen because the world is really good at crucifying people. It's it's really good at, at heaping on more blame and punishment and condemnation. And so we know generally what happens. All we have to do is watch television when somebody gets in trouble and watch how everybody throws them under the bus. And we go, I can't do that. So we hide our stuff. But I want to tell you that the kingdom of God is not about exposure. It's about restoration. And if there's anybody in the room that has wondered what your place is with God, I will tell you that God is a God who says, I know and I saw it all. I heard everything. I knew your thoughts when you thought them. And I love you still. And I died for you still. So in this message of restoration, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 4. If you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 4 we find Jesus he has not even called his disciples to himself yet we find that over in Luke chapter 5 but we're in Luke chapter 4 and so Jesus is beginning this this public ministry he walks into a synagogue in Nazareth and i want us to pick up in verse 16 it says and he came to Nazareth where he had brought where he was brought up and as was his custom he entered the synagogue on the sabbath He stood up to read, and the book of the prophets, Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book, and he found the place where it was written. You're about to hear some good news. Are you ready? Jesus takes the scroll. He opened the book, and he found the place where it was written, and he began to read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. Somebody say good news. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. Now, let me explain to you why this was such an astounding moment. You see, when you go in to read the scrolls in the synagogue, you don't get to flip where you want to flip. You pick it up and read where they last left off. So one, Jesus grabs it and he says, that's not where we're going today. And he starts searching. And everybody's like, wait a minute, we don't, we don't do that. And I guess Jesus is like, well, we do today. So he starts flipping and he gets to this place that it says, and he found the place where it was written and he reads this and you're like, where did that come from? It comes from the book of Isaiah. And I wanted I want to read you what it says over in Isaiah because you'll know that he's quoting from Isaiah, but there's something interesting. You remember it said he closed the book. Watch where he closed the book. I'm reading from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. That sound familiar? That's where he's, he's reading from. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to claim liberty to the captives and freedom to the, uh, for the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's where he closed the book. Now listen to what came after it. It's in the same sentence. In the day of vengeance of our God. Does anybody notice what just happened? He opened the book to the favorable year of the Lord, and he closed the book before he got to vengeance. Oh, that did my heart good. I don't know if that did any good to you or not. He he closed the book before he got to vengeance. Why is that? Because we live in the favorable year of the Lord. He's saying that the vengeance of God is not being poured out. It is the love of God that is being poured out. The poor are being preached the good news. The captives are being set free. The blind are receiving sight. The oppressed are being set free. He looks at them and says, It's a good time to be alive. Because Jesus says, Because I just came on the scene the King of glory just stepped onto the earth to a people who had turned their back on God. And if you were wondering, what would God do when He comes in the flesh to those who turn their back on God? He said, I am closing the book for now on vengeance and I am opening it up to salvation. Hmm. You ever notice that whenever we sin, whenever we hurt people, we want what? Wait a minute. When when we hurt someone. <laughs> yeah. See, you heard it wrong and even gave the wrong answer, right? That that's our tendency. When we hurt someone, when we sin, we want mercy. But when people hurt us, now we want vengeance. Hmm. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he says, you know what? I could be mad, but I'm not. And I could choose vengeance, but I don't. I choose mercy. And I am opening up a season of restoration. You see, the kingdom of God in that kingdom, there's a priority toward restoration, not vengeance. Now let's look a little bit further. We are so prone, though, to want to punish people, aren't we? The world is so prone to want to punish people when something goes wrong. But I will tell you that Jesus is not prone to punish. He's prone to mercy. He's prone to forgiveness. He's prone to loving you. Somebody sitting in there and you didn't, you didn't know that. That's why this will sound as good news if you can hear it. People are prone to judgment. People are prone to punishment. Jesus comes and said, I'm prone to mercy. Hmm. There's a story of the disciples. I don't know if you remember it or not, but they're going through Samaria on their way to Jerusalem, and they, they need some help from the Samaritans, but the Samaritans won't give it. The relationship between the Jews and the Samaritan is worse than any racial thing we've ever gone through. It's worse than any genocide that's ever happened in Africa. They hated each other and the, Meser- the samaritans are looking go you going to jerusalem you think we're going to help you and the disciples have this brilliant idea it's in luke chapter 9 they ask the lord they say lord shall we call down fire on them that is both sad and hilarious to me all at the same time it is both sad and hilarious they They literally said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire? (laughs) Now, here's a couple things you ought to notice. They have a benchmark for this. They know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. So they're thinking, well, they did it with Sodom and Gomorrah. They have the benchmark of Elijah because Elijah called down fire on the prophets and kill the prophets of Baal. So they've got a spiritual benchmark. How many times have you found a Christian who will use the Bible cuz he wants to punish somebody? Hmm. So they got good calls. They got some scripture for it. But here's what I like even more. <laughs> they literally think they can do it. They they lit- I know, track with me for just a- they literally think they can call down fire. Because Jesus has given them authority, and he's given them power. And they look in the Scripture and say, well, if, if they could do it, we can do it too. So so Jesus, do you want us to, to call down fire? <laughs> and here's what he said. But he turned and he rebuked them, and he said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Yeah. Can I just tell you that the Son of Man did not come to destroy your life today? If you're in the hearing of this room, He came to save it. Mm. Peter wants to protect Jesus. You remember that story? They're trying to arrest Him. Peter pulls out a sword, cuts off the ear of this servant, and what does Jesus go? Mm, Got what was coming to him. Hmm? that's what we say right out oh, what, what? What? what's coming to him no he looks at Peter and he says Peter put that sword up what? Peter what I think he did it just like that Peter what, put your sword up but, but because the kingdom has such a priority on, on restoration Jesus doesn't just walk away no what does he do he grabs this ear and He heals this man. He restores him. He restores him. That guy's on the wrong team. He's on the wrong team. And Jesus says, Peter, put your sword up. Grabs here, Heals it. That is a work of restoration, folks. Yeah. And then Peter... I'll take you back a little bit earlier. Peter has this great question. He says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone? You, you've probably, some of you have heard that. How many times should I forgive someone? Jesus, should I forgive them seven times? Jesus looks at him and says, No, 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 Peter, Peter. Seven times seventy, or seventy times seven. Now, don't get lost in the math and wonder if he was saying 77 times or 490 times and then go back home and pull out the list of grievances you have with somebody and go, I only got like three more times and then I can now I can let them hold it. That wasn't what he was saying. In fact, he's actually referencing something over in Genesis chapter 4 where a man named Lamech, he He killed someone who had done something to him. And the statement that he makes is this. If Cain was punished seven times, surely I will be be punished 70 times seven. 70 plus seven. Why did I take you back to Genesis? Because Jesus is saying, listen up people. I'm ushering in a new season. I'm ushering in something new. The law brought death but I bring life. Where in Genesis, judgment came seven times 70 in this new kingdom under this principle of restoration. Jesus says, now we're going to forgive that many times. Because the thing that forgiveness can do, are you listening? You're going to need this. The thing that forgiveness can do that punishment cannot, and even that the law, it says the law couldn't even do this. The law could not bring life. But when you forgive somebody, you open up the potential at least for life. Yeah. And now I want to take you over to Romans chapter 5 because I want to show you what God does to His enemies. Can I do that? I think you need to see what God does to His enemies. So over in Romans chapter 5, we we learn what, what God does how he responds to his enemies. Here's what he said. For while we were helpless, I'm in verse 6, chapter 5, Romans. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Notice he didn't say that he died for the godly. Notice he said he didn't die for the good man. It said, while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly now going down to 8 it's a very similar thing he's he's rep he's repeating himself for emphasis verse 8 but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us not once you got all your junk straight I don't know how many people I've said pastor I I want to come back to church I just got to get myself together I'm like Look, we ain't got time for that. That's going to take you forever. We, we don't have time. You need to come on back, receive forgiveness, and let Jesus get you right. Amen. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then, verse 10. For while if we were enemies. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You want to know what God does to his enemies? He sends his son to die for them so that they might be reconciled. So that his enemies might be called friends. I ain't never seen nothing like that. Can I just say it that way? Can I just say it that way? Sometimes you have to say it in the vernacular of Chester to make it sound right. I ain't never seen nothing like it. That a holy God would come to a helpless and ungodly people and die for them. That a holy and a righteous God would send His Son to die for people while they were yet sinners. And that He would take His enemies and He would reconcile them to God through the death of His Son. And He said, if you think that's good news, guess what? When He died and rose again, you'll be saved by His life. He said, I'll pour life into you. <laughs> so how does God treat His enemies? He loves That's why He can look at you and say, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. You want to know why He can tell you that? Because He said, that's how I am. And if you're going to be mine, I want you to operate just like I operate. So if I love my enemies, you can surely love yours. (laughs) And then, everywhere He goes, everything He does becomes part of this ministry of reconciliation. So I want to take you back to some story. Can we do we gave away a storybook Bible. Can we do story time for a moment? I want to take you back to some very familiar stories. And I want to show you some things about restoration that you may have missed in the story. You remember a man named Legion? If I'm not mistaken, Legion means 5,000. Legion was a man that was tormented. We would call him insane. He was possessed. They would have said by a Legion a 5,000 or so demons. A crazy man. They tried to chain it, But he kept breaking their chains. They were scared to death of him because he screamed apparently like day and night. And so nobody wants to go near him. Everybody wants him to stay out there. They're like, we tried to chain him up and we can't, so let's just avoid him. And it said Jesus passed by. <laughs> and it says that legion ran and bowed before Jesus. <laughs> that's so good bow before Jesus and Jesus delivered him and he set him free and he brought him back into town that's the part you need not miss it's not only that cause this is good now don't mistake <laughs> he took a man who was bound in sin with the people who couldn't keep him bound And he unbound him permanently so that he could restore him back to his community, his people. See, we miss that part. A lot of times we see the miracles, but we don't understand the the finer point, which is this man couldn't be a part of community, couldn't be around people, because he's insane. Jesus not only heals him, he restores him back to his people. I'll clap if you don't on that one. I'll clap if you don't on that one. He restores him back. He returns him to his people. And then Legion says, Oh, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, Nope, you can't. Go on back to your house. When I look at those times where Jesus tells people that they can't follow him, I'm like, But you said come and follow. So why are you telling him not to follow We're supposed to follow Because he sent him back to his home, to his people, to be a witness. Because what I failed to to realize until I looked at the maps in the back of my Bible, that's why you should still keep real pages, people. (laughs) Because there's some maps in the back. And I pulled out the maps and I was looking at the maps and I said, My goodness, Jesus is all over the place, just Chris Carlson, all around the Sea of Galilee. And it began to dawn on me maybe he sent him back to his people to preach the gospel because he knew that if he sent him back, he'd be a testimony so that those people could decide if they want to go and see Jesus or Jesus might come back to their town and then they'd be ready to get what he got.
1: Yes, sir, yes, sir. (laughs)
0: That's good news, isn't it? I got it! That's why He said go back home. Because He said I might be coming your way again and you can get your folks ready. There's probably some folks that you were supposed to go back home to and get them ready for Jesus coming. Yeah. The lepers. The lepers were held out. They had to stay outside because they didn't know how you got leprosy. So they're thinking, if we don't know how you get it and it's contagious, you have to stay out there. That's actually the point of the law. The law was not just these great commandments in the sky that we were supposed to keep like gravity. The laws were actually in place so that it protected community because God values people in community. And so the law was there to make sure that they were kept out so that the the entire people didn't get sick. (laughs) But that was the old covenant. In the New Covenant, Jesus comes. And you're not supposed to touch lepers because if you touch lepers, you can become unclean. But in this New Covenant, you've heard me say this before, you touch what is unclean and make it clean. That's how we're supposed to live. So many Christians like, ooh, I can't be around all that. I got mm mm-mm. And we try to get all the sin and all the sinful people out of our lives and and I'm like, you know what? I just believe that what Jesus did in us is so powerful that if you will take what you have, you can take those, touch those who are unclean with the love that comes from Jesus and make them whole. Yeah. 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 So don't you shouldn't be afraid of sin. Now I'll tell you, if one of them traps you up, you should stay away from that. Yeah. Amen. Let's just be clear, okay? If you're not strong enough. I've had a lot of people who weren't strong enough, they were going to go get all the drinking buddies and the drugging buddies and all that, and they were going to save them all. I'm like, you might not be ready for that. But we want to get you ready. That's the goal. We want to get you ready. So we're supposed to touch the things that are unclean. That's what Jesus does. And what does He do? Then those lepers can come and be restored to community. It's not just a miracle all by itself. It's about restoring community. Can you handle a few more? The woman with the hemorrhage. Remember her? She has this hemorrhage, this issue of blood. That made you unclean. And so her family couldn't touch her. Uh, the community couldn't touch her. She lived with this stigma. Anybody ever live with a stigma? Yes, sir. Live with a stigma. And she had paid all that she had. It said it gave all of her money to try to be healed, but none of the doctors could touch her. But she had this bright idea. She said, I think if I can just touch the hem of his wow. garment. I think, I think if I can just get close enough. Now nobody's ever told her this. There's not a model for it in Scripture. She just has this idea. I think if I can touch him, I think he'll make me whole. And so she touches him, and he realized oh, to walk this way to know when power's been, you, your power's been drawn on. He said, "Wait a minute, power came out of me. Where was that?" And his disciple says, "Jesus, there's people all around you. How are we supposed to know?" And then here's this woman. She's like, "Oh, I'm in trouble." I'm in trouble. I touched him. It was not a good idea. I'm going to be in trouble. And what does Jesus say? Go, your faith has made you whole. There's a Samaritan woman. She's sitting at a well. Jesus asked her for water. And he says, if you'd known the water that I have, you'd ask me for water. She says, sir, you don't even have a pot. He continues to talk and she mentions some things about a husband. And he says, she says, I have no husband. He says, I know you don't have a husband. You've had five. And the one you're with now, you're not married to. And she goes, oh goodness. I'm going to be in trouble now. And he continues the conversation with her. Notice what happens at the end of the story. It says that she went back to her town. To her village. And what is her message? (laughs) Y'all. Come and see a man. Who told me all about myself. (laughs) And I want you to come and I'm going back to talk to him. (laughs) Have you thought about that? He told her every bit of her sin. And somehow that woman says, and I want to go back and talk more. Ooh, I want to be able to talk that way. I want to be able to talk with such a way that I don't condone the sin in anyone's life. But that I can bring restoration to such an extent that that person will be so transformed that they will gather up people and say, ooh, you got to come and hear about this Jesus. Because he told me all about myself. And I'm crazy about him, I think. They went back and it said the ones that weren't convinced by her when they heard Jesus got convinced. Hmm, You still good? Can I tell you about Zacchaeus? Hmm. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Hated. I mean, like, if you think you hate the IRS... Nothing compares to how they hated tax collectors because tax collectors were Israelites who were working for Rome to take money and they were stealing and cutting off the top too. They were hated. And here is Zacchaeus. He's heard about Jesus. He climbs up in a tree. Jesus looks at him and nobody else wants anything to do with Jesus. He looks up at him and he says, Zacchaeus, I need you to come on down because I'm going to have dinner with you. And the rest of the Israelites are going, you're going to do what? You're going to take a tax collector and you you're going to, ask, you're going to invite, invite he invited himself, which I think is a good pastor for, a, a good idea for all pastors. <laughs> Every Sunday, I'm just going to invite myself to somebody's house. Hey, y'all, I'm coming to y'all's house for lunch. But Zacchaeus gets invited to dinner and somewhere, either on the road or at dinner or somewhere in that, he looks at Jesus and he says, Everything that I have, I'm going to give half of it to the poor. And if I've stolen anything from anyone, I'm going to give it back four times. Can I just tell you the thought that runs through my head? Most of us would say, if you get your life right, Jesus might come to dinner at your house. Jesus says, I'm going to come to dinner at your house. Watch what happens when I come to dinner. <laughs> Jesus comes with a restoration of bringing this man in. He says, I'm not mad at you. I'm coming to dinner with you. And out of this, this amazing repentance, because you know to get some people to come off their money is the hardest thing in the world to do. This is no small miracle. Hmm. And then one last one for you. Peter, old Peter he's a follower we got any followers in the room you're like I've given my life to Jesus I've decided that I will follow him and then you do something and you go oh my goodness what in the world was I doing now I've sinned now now I've messed up now I've done this thing and, and will God ever forgive me And if you have ever doubted, if you can walk with God and fall, what God's message is to you, I will tell you it's a message of restoration. Because it seems to me that when Jesus dies and He's raised again on the third day, He is on assignment to ascend to the Father, and yet somehow He has time to stop by and get Peter and restore him and get him back into ministry. So if there's anybody in the room who ever walked with God early on in your life, turned from God, I don't know how many times I hear that story, and you wonder, will God ever be able to restore me? I'll say He'd be glad to. He'd be glad to. That's why He came. That's why He died. So I want you, when you read through the Gospels, real quick, I did something and I found it amazing. I took my Bible. And at night when I go to bed, I, I open up my Bible to the Gospels. And I put in my ear pod things, whatever they're called. And I get my U version Bible. And I let them talk the Bible out to me. For some of you who are not good at, at reading and, you, and you're not able to focus, let me encourage you as a way to get in the Word is to open up your Bible, find that translation, in in YouTube and listen and let somebody talk to you. Oh, it's just amazing. And and all these miracles have taught me this. When we see those miracles, we look at it from such an American selfish point of view. We look at it from this point of view of I wonder if I can get fed. I, I wonder if Jesus will heal me. I wonder if Jesus will work on my finances. I wonder if Jesus will do this or that. And we look at it so selfishly that we may be missing the point that the reason that He is doing these miracles is to also restore people back to each other. That if you came to Christ, but you did not get plugged into the body of Christ, you're not there yet. That wasn't all that God wanted to do in your life. He's got a a bigger plan. This thing of restoration is called the meta-narrative. Ooh, I like that word. It's a big word. I can't spell it. It's the grand story. The grand story of the Bible is this. Not only did Jesus save you, die for you, so that you might have a relationship with Him, He saved you and restored you so that you might have a relationship with everyone around Yeah, And if you want a relationship with Jesus, but you don't want anything to do with the people around you, you didn't get the message. You didn't get the full gospel. So I want to ask you if there's anybody around you that needs restoring. It's where we get this word koinonia, this word communion. It's fellowship. It is that Jesus is saying to you, I want a relationship with you. My Father wants a relationship with you. And I want to place you into a body, a family called the church. Now this church is bigger than Ember. We know that, right? we just part of the body. We ain't cornered the market on this thing. To be brought into this thing called the church, the body of Christ. And so I want to close with this. The reason the gospel is so powerful is because the law could never bring life. But forgiveness and healing and restoration brings life. That's why the new covenant is better than the old. It's because it's a covenant of life. And so for me, I want to commend you for just a moment. Because you guys do an incredible job of loving people. I've watched you love homeless people. And I've watched you love rich people. And influential people. And people in government. I've watched them come through this place. And you love them all the same. And I commend you for that. Because that's how Jesus would do it. And there's something that's always happened when when we started Ember, is that you know how people love whenever somebody gets arrested? Everybody loves to post that on Facebook and talk about how there should be a special place in hell for that person and all kind of matters like that. When I see people's faces posted in, in a mugshot with somebody in our community, the first thing that goes through my mind is this I hope somebody from Ember can get there first that's my desire so I hope I hope somebody from Ember can get there before the world does because the world will make fun the world will condemn the world will cast shame but my mind is if I can get there or if Ember can get there we might can restore them now they'll have a choice they'll get to make a choice but I want you there first and I've watched over time That that would happen. And you've gone and gotten people and brought them. And you've loved them. And it's brought life. And they've been restored. And they're part of this church family now. And I would say that is the gospel. That is the kingdom of priority. That's how the kingdom works. I met a man the other day. Similar situation. I was trying to get him to Ember. Met him at a restaurant. The line was long. It was taking forever. I thought, surely God is in this. I just got to figure out how to turn the conversation. And he turned it for me. And he said, I got saved. I'm in church. And it's changed my life. Yeah, you should clap for that. <laughs> And I said, brother, I've been praying for you. been trying to find a way to to get to you. Because I wanted you to be someplace where people would love you back to health. And I'm so excited that that's already happening. And you're in an awesome church with an awesome awesome pastor. So God bless you. And so I want to tell you, Ember, we still ought to be the ones running after those who are broken. With a heart of restoration. Of wanting to bring people to Jesus so that they might be reconciled. Now the question I asked at the beginning, do you remember it? You forgot it, hadn't you? Your worst sin, your worst thought, what if it was exposed for all the world to see? When Jesus looks at your worst thought, your worst action, for those who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and received the forgiveness of sin, Do you know what the message of God is to you? He looks at you and says, what sin? What sin? What sin are you talking about? Now, I don't know when it says if it puts it as far as the east is from the west. I don't know if he can see it or not see it or if he sees it and he don't care. I don't care. If it's not an issue for him, I'm relieved. Yeah? Yeah? So I don't know the particulars of how that works. I just know that when God looks at you, He says, child, what, what sin? I took care of that on the cross so that we might be reconciled. What sin? Yeah, don't bring it up anymore. Don't go back there. Some of you have not received forgiveness of sin. You haven't entered into a relationship with God. Probably because you thought He was uh, not going to receive you well. And I'll, I'll make one statement right here. I believe that my ministry is for people who wonder whether or not they can have a relationship with God. And that we're supposed to bring love and restoration. I believe that's the heart of this ministry. When I talked to Dee, that was the heart of of his ministry too. When we came together. And, and so I'll tell you, I don't, I don't have a message for the people that just refuse to believe God. The people who just refuse to, 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 to believe, who are uh, against God. I, I don't have a message for them. I don't know what to do with them. But here's what I know: most of them don't show up to church on Sunday morning. The people who show up to church on Sunday mornings want to know if God loves them, And the good news, the gospel, the kingdom messages, you bet He does. He loves you. He died for you. And I just believe that if we'll start loving those people, that that message will be so powerful that somehow to those people who are mad at God and angry at God and and, and are working against God, that somehow they have to look at that and go, hmm, And I believe that's when the gospel becomes salty, savory, makes people thirsty. That's my desire. And so I've asked thee to come up because I believe that there may be some people in the room that need to give your heart to the Lord or some people who you have been walking and and you won't draw close to God because you think He's mad. And you need an invitation to come to a God who wants to restore you. And I'm going to ask Him to lead that invitation. I'm going to ask you to take it seriously.
1: Father, we thank you, first and foremost, for this opportunity to come before your presence, God, even in a place of filth, a place of unworthiness. But yet, in spite of those things, God, you're still welcoming. You're still accepting. You're still merciful. You're still gracious. God, in spite of all the flaws, Romans 8 and 28 uh, 28 says that all things work together for the good of them who love you, O God. And so, Father, we pray now that in our midst, there may be someone, God, who think that what they did literally cut them off forever. And they're trying to figure this thing out called life. But, Father, you reminded us again that Romans 5 and 8 says that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. You died for us, God, not so that we uh, would just be punished for what we've done, but you died, God, that we might have an opportunity to commune with you again. So, Father, today there's someone that's here, there's someone that's watching, whose shame and whose sin has been so heavy that it's literally paralyzed them from coming back to the fold. But, Father, you said you break every chain. So, Father, I pray even now that you will begin to go throughout the sanctuary and begin to destroy those chains. Loose them, O God, that they can come back into right relationship with you. Father, my prayer is now that there's someone who has been beaten down, who's been discouraged, but yet some kind of way they made their way to Ember today. And for that, God, we say thank you. We thank you, O oh God, for an opportunity to commune with them and encourage them and to let them know that you're standing here with your arms open wide, saying, come unto me while you yet have time. So now, God, I, in the same spirit of Kevin, I'm reminded of this last and final restoration act prior to your death. You were hanging on a rugged There was one to the left who was guilty, and his sentence was death. And there was another that was hanging there that his penalty was punishable by death, but yet he believed. He fixed his eyes upon you, and he said, Father, this day will you have me in paradise. And not only was he forgiven, but he was restored. So, Father, before it's too late, my prayer is that that person that's here would say, Father, will you have me in paradise? And as we stand all over the building, our prayer, God, is that whoever that person is, we would stand together with them and welcome them in paradise back into fellowship with you as our Lord and Savior.